It is March 24th, 2021. Today is the March Collaboration Corner. I am Michael Askins, architect and technologist, and this is the Technology Architecture Solution Engineering Show. In the virtual studio, we have returning champ, Ari. How you doing, bud? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure having you here. And our modern workplace architect... Dev. Thank you. You remembered. <laughs> uh, seamless. Seamless. That's awesome. So I hope everyone's doing well today. Uh, we're recording on this fine start of a rain, nice sunny day out. So, you know, as spring comes, we go outside more, even though I'm a cold weather person, I guess the guilt drives me outside. Um, so I am looking forward to this evening. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe uh, one of the other shows I have has deck talks. It might be a great time to just go out on the deck and record one of these. So we'll definitely have to have to handle that. Um, so all right, what's been happening since we talked to you last? Anything, anything big going on? Any, any, any news, minor news, or anything you want to bring up? Yeah, man, the the world has it's like a flower blooming. The world is <laughs> opening up here in the Northeast. We have uh, we've been it's been cold for a minute, but these past week or so, I think there's been a couple of days. I'm not sure what it's been like there in Pittsburgh, but a couple of days where everybody sort of stepped outside and had this realization that maybe. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> this is happening. Uh, so no, there's definitely um, a lot of excitement in the air, and, and we're seeing that from from the market as well. That folks are finally having the conversations about, all right, what is the timeline on our plans? Um, so that's good to see. It's been a long time keeping irons in the fire. <laughs> it's happened. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. Dev, uh, I think we have a counter. How many days left? 129 until Skype goes bye-bye. All right. (laughs) Like I said, we're going to keep doing it. And we're at at the uh, four-month mark almost here. So uh, four and some change. So yeah, it's uh, it doesn't. I feel like if they were Microsoft was going to push it back, they would have done it by now. I feel like so it definitely feels like it's full bore ahead. Um, which, I, see this, I, I see this as a Saturn Five kind of a thing, right? So it's usually like, you know, the dramatics, like everybody's sitting at their consoles, you know, everybody's go, 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 go for launch. And it's like down to that last like T minus 12, 11, <laughs> the clock stops. <laughs> it's either that or just like, you know, it's like minus, it's like minus, minus, and it's like plus one, plus two. <laughs> so this time next year, if we're, it's like negative 50 days until this. <laughs> That'll be a, I will that'll, to, we will totally do that if that's that the case. Absolutely, man. <laughs> absolutely. So one of our uh, production team seeded our news, our tech news. So I'm actually kind of excited. And uh, when, when we were talking about it, they're like, yeah, feel free to toss it out because I know we like to take a big chunk of time, maybe one news article or so. But we want to you know, jump into some of the messaging that Ari has and then the, the teams in the last 30. But there's two really Really cool things. And one of them is, in my opinion, directly related to collaboration. The other one, not so much, more security, but it is a fun topic. So the article is Invisible Keyhole Security Developed with Printable Electronics. And so I was just kind of like head scratcher, like, huh? what is that? And uh, so I, I read the article, and essentially people are hiding in plain sight mechanisms to unlock locks. Like, for instance, on the article, it was like there was a, a locker. And then somebody like reached up and turned a screw to like 
three o'clock. And then they turned the other screw to like two o'clock. And behind the scenes is this, this printable electronic paper type stuff that is like sending the signal to unlock the door. So it's like hiding security keyholes in plain sight. What are your thoughts on that? I thought that was interesting. Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure I understand it. <laughs> yeah, it, it took me to wrap my brain around it at the beginning. Yeah. So, so instead of like unlocking the lock with a, like either Bluetooth or walking up with a key and sticking it in, they're using these printable circuits. These are printable electronics, and they're hiding the 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 control in plain sight. So, so like they're like, turning a screw into the mechanism that sends the signal to the electronic lock to unlock. So it's, it's sort of like if you have to know where the reader is yes. if you want to get in kind of thing. I think I saw something like that on a car once where it's like a thumbprint reader on the windshield. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> and, good. Uh, I, I guess I'm wondering, what's the application? Yeah, I thought that too. And I said, it's really not productive with the way you can walk up to stuff with near field in your pocket. Uh, I, I think it's, it's more of an R&D kind of a thing. And what struck me as interesting is, is like when, when people walk up to like RFID tags and stuff in buildings, they're kind of like, okay, there it is. I'm going to try to hack and crack into it. But when you abstract that to something that's commonplace, hidden in plain sight, unless you're being observed, being socially engineered, you're not going to know where to go to interface with the device that's going to unlock that. I thought it was pretty interesting. That does make a lot of sense. You know, so much of security, like, you know, a good pair of bolt cutters, you can get through (laughs) those things, right? But if you put a big uh, chain on something, you know, people are going to go for whatever's not chained up. Mm-hmm. So if you don't give them the option to break into the keypad, yep, maybe we'll go find one that does have a uh, keypad we can break yeah, into. For sure. Yeah. It, 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 and I just called up the article again, and there's there's this door that has this little little LED screen above this says enter passcode, but there's nowhere to enter it, and the person is tapping on screws. I was like. Oh. There is no application in the real world. I would see that, but I want it because it's awesome. (laughs) Uh, Selling now for your personal panic rooms. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You you guys ever seen how the uh, like uh, musicians, like electronic music, they'll take, uh, I don't know, like old toys and turn them into. uh, what What is that called? I don't know what it's called, but I've seen it on the tube of you. I, yeah, I imagine that uh, this will be a big thing in that community, yep. <laughs> making the, the cow goes moo. But, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. And the, and the reason why you put it on your panic room is that you panic when you can't find number two news item and this is one it kind of deals uh kind of sort of in a collaboration way there's been talks that microsoft is going to buy discord so i'm sure that's kind of surfaced in all your news feeds so i can see like how it deals with you know uh, there, there's two things right well first of all actually what a lot of people don't realize is like businesses and creators use discord as a way to connect to their community but Discord is largely known as a way for gamers to connect. And there's like a bunch of there was a couple contenders to, to kind of purchase them. And aside from the, the raw numbers, like Microsoft's the leader, there's another one. Um, the name escapes me, another organization, another game development company. But their, their valuation is only like 28 billion. So that would like almost have their 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 kettle kettle if you will so 
so the question I have is, is like from a, from a positioning perspective, aside from just the games and, and things of that nature, do you see any kind of value? Is there anything in Discord that you guys think that maybe would apply to the business realm? To the business realm? Hmm. I mean, what is what does Discord do that meet? Sorry, teams doesn't. Yeah, that's the thing. That's what I was trying to find. And it, it just seems to me like it's a pure video game play to get the gamers, right? I would assume that it's more like capture exactly what you're saying. You're capturing a set of users more than anything else by purchasing Discord, more than you're capturing a use case. Um, I guess there's probably Discord, I think, probably is more suited for sort of live casual interaction, but it's mm-hmm way behind all the other things that you do in a typical workplace sharing documents and all that kind of stuff right yeah for sure for sure some gamers that i know that uh are like hardcore gamers when they're not developing they they seem to think that like discord's low latency video and voice is far better than like any of the mainstream platforms and you know i i've experienced it and i can't say that it's better or worse um I, I, the value proposition was the was the challenge that I had, like for for the business. Other than the small business that's looking to connect with their community, right? Creators and people that are putting content out, that is a mechanism in which they use a lot. I mean, because it's easier to have these channels. You're not going to take your team's client and open it up to the world, saying, "Here's a channel, go at it," right? And here, mm-hmm. people are going to be putting all kinds of crazy files and all kinds of stuff like that there that you can't really that you first of all don't want inside your inside your environment. So may, maybe there's a potential there um so yeah i just wanted to talk that through and thank you sounds like they i have experienced the quality different i actually think that there is a higher quality through discord but at the same time i've always assumed that was due to the other things that are going on right versus Mm -hmm. teams call where you have a lot more things going on in the background i assume than in a just in a discord which is literally you know, as, as basic as it gets. So, but maybe there's, there's some application of their, you know, video and and audio processing technology that could be ported over to teams. Yeah, it could be, it could be. And, you know, like the other thing too, is when you look at teams, there's optimizations you can put in teams um, to, to, you know, increase the quality, if you will. And, you know, a lot of the challenges that organizations have is like sometimes like, okay, I am looking at my camera as me directly through my camera, through a camera app. And the the, the picture is marketably clearer than when I look at myself on a Teams call, because I've done a Teams my, I teamsed myself. <laughs> I've skyped myself just to try to like dial in settings and stuff for like OBS and what have you. And, and I've noticed, I was like, oh, this is what people see me as. I was like, holy crud, that's not the greatest. And then I, I realized that there is a lot of processing that goes on. So like your feed is actually, you know, hitting some services in Azure. So like we're recording this on a Teams call and it's not directly it's directly connecting us so that there's no latency. Like we can communicate in an effective way, but there's, like you mentioned, there's all these sidecar things that are out there that are being like the recording streams and then the NDI and all the other stuff is going through all the services out there. That's that to your point may, may lower that down. So from a business perspective, the only thing I could come up with is this is a way to connect to your customers. I mean, it could be a way to have, you know, like those town hall clubhouse style meetings that are very popular right now. Um, because you know the servers are like 
free, basically. You know, it's like you, you don't have to pay or subscribe. It's low end to, to do that kind of a thing. Uh, I think the gamers might push back because the clarity that comes in <laughs> comes in on that is for a reason because they're playing insert game here and they're barking at each other near real time to like achieve an objective. I'm not calling games out on purpose. <laughs> Been there. I, I know. <laughs> All right. So we're going to hit our main topic up here in a second, but for a quick moment, let's hear a little word from our sponsor aspirant and we'll be see you on the other side. Hey listeners. So by now, you know that while we bring you the latest and greatest tech news, tips and trends by night, By day, we run the Microsoft Cloud Solutions practice within Aspirant Consulting. Aspirant is a global management and technology consulting firm that challenges the antiquated, ineffective consulting model. Unlike the bigger firms, we focus on delivering sustainable results for our clients through broad, integrated expertise. From operational process design to organizational change to app development and pretty much anything you can imagine in the cloud, our team can help yours overcome whatever challenge it's facing. So check us out at Aspirant.com, follow us on LinkedIn, or follow the link in the show notes to learn more about Aspirant and our breadth of capabilities. Aspirant Consulting. Experience teams, real results. All right, we're back. Let's uh, jump right into our, our, our topic, our, our main core topic, before we hit those teams in the last 30. So interactivity, uh, specifically in education enterprise and what that looks like. So Ari, why don't you give us a little background on it and uh, let us know your thoughts. Yeah, for sure. So um, I know this is a strange topic to be discussing in the middle of a pandemic where the idea is not to be touching the same thing as everybody else. Um, that said, uh, we will make it out of this eventually. And so I think it's it's an important topic for us to discuss because it really has, the technology itself actually hasn't really changed much. Um, however, the applications really have, and there's certain things about the market in general that have changed that have made these applications actually um, viable. So I think the first thing to understand about interactivity when we talk about it is, you know, what, what is the piece of hardware that we're talking about? And in general, um, if you're familiar with uh, a smart board, that's something that in the past uh, was sort of the flagship interactivity product. Um, these days, Surface you can Hub, get, right? Surface Hub is another, uh, yes, yeah, so smart came first. And then Surface Hub, I think, was really instrumental in bringing that same level of interactivity to the enterprise space as smart was most almost entirely focused on education. Um, and then, you know, that whole market now has become where the display manufacturers will provide you a pretty good interactive display um, that now has supplanted pretty much everything else in the market. But I think it's important to understand the history of interactivity um, and those types of technologies so that we can understand sort of where this is going to go. Um, really, interactivity started, like I said, with those large format boards, projection system boards, um, and it started in education. And the goal was uh, as education started to use more and more digital resources, um, it was important to not only make those uh, digital resources accessible to the teacher, but then also accessible to the students in a way that was more than just projecting it up uh, like an overhead transparency type thing. So the goal there is to create a level of engagement. 
And anybody that's an educator will tell you that the number one determinant of educational outcomes is engagement levels. Um, How engaged are the students in the topics that are being discussed? So when you have an interactive display, when you have an interactive, when you have interactive technology, clearly, you know, you're really raising that level of engagement. It also allows for differentiated learning. So I'm sure we're all familiar with the, uh, the talk at you in a big lecture hall style of learning. And I'm also sure that we're all familiar with the fact that that doesn't work for most people, or at least it's not the most efficient. It certainly wasn't for me. (laughs) Sitting straightforward and and listening to somebody for an hour was not, I'm a hands-on guy. Let's put it that way. We're getting a lot of nods right now for those who can't see us. A lot of us, a lot of us agree with that. So what this enables you to do in an education setting is create differentiated learning. So different styles of learning, um, different ways of communicating a concept um, that are uh, maybe done in an interactive way for sure, but maybe done in small group work style, um, done as one-on-one type session. And, you know, using a piece of interactive technology is what enables that using, taking one of these interactive displays, putting it in table mode. And now you're teaching kindergartners through games on that table. Hey, this is how you work together as a team. Right. And that's a very basic, you know, kindergarten type concept, but how are you supposed to teach that in a lecture style? Everybody, you know, talking to these eight-year-olds, right? So having uh, the ability to do interactive learning and achieve these sort of educational outcomes uh, has been enabled by that interactive display and interactive technology. So then, all right, so that's the K through 12 sort of history there. How does that then apply to enterprise? So I'm curious, uh, either of you guys, have you ever used... A surface, a surface, uh, as in a device. Excuse me. Hub? Oh, yeah, I, I drool. Yes, very much so. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so what? What is your first? As a technologist, what is your first impression of of it as a technology in general? Magnificent. <laughs> Very descriptive, Dev. So, so what I found with the surface, aside from having the endless area to chart out and draw, you know, aside from that, instead of like ripping the pages off and then tacking them on the wall kind of a thing, the, the part I found the most useful is when I'm done presenting on it, touching a button. And everybody getting that content because so often it's like, take a picture and send the picture around like the old school whiteboard yep. ways. Yep. The, the wired in wired in this is, is that to me is like number one feature. Number two feature multi-touch being able to like quickly navigate something as opposed to like searching it out on an old school whiteboard or what have you. That's my number two. So if you were to come into a conference room You'd never been in that conference room before and you saw that technology in there. You know, you're a tech forward person. How would you, would you feel comfortable using it? Absolutely. What would you say about somebody who's, you know, maybe average level of, of technology proficiency? Likely not. They might be apprehensive. They might stand there and say, well, maybe slightly lower than average. Right. You know, yeah. and I'm not insulting anyone, but some people like don't want to, I'm air quoting, break things. So like they want to have that guided experience on how to use it prior to. Yeah. Um, 
Now, if we were to rewind that to a younger, younger demographic, they're mm-hmm. going to be all up in and poking and touching and ripping things off the side yeah. before we even get out. That's my. They're, they're going to be doing things and asking you why it doesn't is it yeah, interactive, exactly. right? <laughs> touch this display. Why does it? Yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, so what you just described is exactly the is is a great depiction of of the scenario right now in the enterprise. There's this Actually, right real quick. That was not set up, by the way. That was purely on the spot answers. We did not collaborate <laughs> on this at all. <laughs> It's true. But the, the reason why it's spot on, though, is because this is what's going on right now is that there's, there is this reticence to work with interactive technology that is a, a historical situation. Right. <laughs> and that typically this type of technology seems super powerful and almost too powerful for an average user to want to sort of dip their toes in. They see this interactive display. They know that it's clearly not inexpensive. Uh, <laughs> and they're saying, you know what? This looks like a beast. I don't want to, I don't even want to get involved. I'm just concerned about whether or not my presentation comes off cleanly. I don't want to try to take this extra risk here. And so that, that has been the history. And and to a large extent, like you said, um, it is definitely a a technology familiarity, the younger generations being more familiar than older generations for sure. So that's, that's sort of the battleground. And Interactive technology being useful in the enterprise space, in enterprise uh, environments, really comes down to the engagement, as we talked about in education, of those users. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the other thing that has started to break down that barrier, which is the socialization of touch technology and how to use it. It's things like, you know, gestures and things that we all I mean, look, we all have touch technology in our phone, in our phones, in our pockets today. Right. And so the idea of these are the types of things that you should be able to do on an interactive display is largely there in a lot of the community. And so applying that to these um, interactive technologies within the workplace has started to become a more comfortable experience. The other aspect that sort of started to bring down that barrier in enterprise is the control of systems, Um, especially with our phones. Now we expect to be able to control things with a little touchscreen. And if you go into your stereotypical um, collaboration space um, in in an office somewhere, you're going to see probably a little touch panel on the table that's allowing you to control. So you've got that level of comfortable uh, comfortableness, comfortability, comfortableness <laughs> coming, uh, with, uh, people saying, all right, no, I expect my control to be an interactive display. Mm-hmm. And then also, all right, I expect there to be these basic tools. And so if I go up to an interactive display, I'm expecting pinch to work. I'm expecting scroll to work like I expected to, et cetera. So I think the next role that it needs to take an enterprise to really fully break through that um, barrier. And thank you, Mike, again, for being such a perfect example is to break, <laughs> break through this perception of it as an, as a presentation tool. Yep. So does it work as a presentation tool? Yes. Is that where organizations get value out of an interactive display? No. Interactive technology really becomes most valuable when you're using it in a collaborative scenario for collaborative work, small groups, doing things like like the instance you mentioned where maybe you're going over a set of plans on a job site and you're marking them up, redlining, et cetera. The process has been somebody takes a photo and ships it off to the design company who then pays a low level intern or somebody to take all of that stuff and digitize it, all those red lines, right? 
now we're doing that, like Mike said, with a click of one button. By the time everybody gets home, gets back to their office, they've already got it in their email. That's where you really get value out of interactive technology. Um, the presentation aspect of it for sure is powerful and, and compelling. And I think if you're in a training scenario, then for sure the interactive uh, presentation aspects will come to bear. Yeah. But for the standard person in an office that's coming to use a piece of interactive technology, they're going to get the most value out of collaborative scenarios. Yeah. Um, do you see um, any standardization coming with, like you mentioned, gestures? So, like, I'm sure you've seen it where, like, people will pick up a device and the first thing they do all, like, I don't know, all, like, caveman styles, like, grunt at it and, like, smack it. Like, they're like, yeah, I'm doing that on purpose. They're like, touch, touch. You know, like, what is this thing going to, how is it going to respond? If there's no. some <laughs> What's funny about that is that since this technology came from the education sphere, yeah. they've been dealing with the worst possible user. <laughs> That's true. You want to talk about what little kids do to technology? <laughs> when we sell Chromebooks, we have to show them how they can't the little keys, you can't pop them off. Yeah. That's a problem. Yes. will do. <laughs> so yeah. So when it comes to, you know, is this technology lowest common denominator? It's been that way since the beginning. Good, good. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I can just see people mashing against it. Um, you know, the, you mentioned a couple of things and you've, you've fired a synapse in my brain that goes way back to the smart board days. And, um, you know, there, there's there's been a lot of like groundswell, like maker style things. Like mm. I remember really wanting to have one of those boards just because I wanted them because I loved how just because I am who I am. And I remember getting one of our TVs and putting infrared bar like infrared LED yeah. strips around it and getting yeah. one of those Wii remote controls and hacking it and pointing at it and doing that whole, you know, it can see me anywhere kind of a thing, you know, and, and where we've gone or where we've come from is, is amazing that we take that simple gesture in your pocket to, you know, 40 plus inches, you know, yep. and the, the technology that drives that in one of the barriers for organizations to adopt those historically I've seen weaving in and out of enterprise is the cost. And one of the challenges is, is that certain people, and you called it, you nailed it right on the head is certain organizations will see something like that as that's just, a, that's just a projector you can touch. Yep. But it's not. It's, it's not more. Right. Right. Not if you're using it for its for its real value yeah. or to get the real value out of it. It it'll do the projector thing fine. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, I'm glad that you brought up costs because that is a big uh, sort of development in the space, which is these interactive displays. Well, they 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 save in a number of ways, but most importantly, you're getting these 98 inch displays, which used to be 20k a pop for six, seven K interactive, right. Yeah. And you're only paying maybe 1500 more than the non-interactive version. So these large format displays have come way down in yeah. cost. And that means that the hassle of a projector, which isn't interactive, isn't as bright, isn't as long living, mm. doesn't requires more maintenance. The list is endless. Yep. You're replacing that with, with a display, um, that can be interactive. Um, now I mentioned that there's this other aspect of cost savings with these interactive displays. And that comes from the fact that um, 
the industry leaders for interactive display technology, they provide a OPS slot within mm. their device. So for those of you that are not familiar, OPS is sort of an open standards uh, connection style for uh, an onboard computer in the device. So that allows you to run an appliance if that's what you want, or a full PC with operating system um, within the device itself. So that allows you to do things like load whatever proprietary or you know specific applications that you want to use. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of organizations have softwares, et cetera, that they might use for design or programming uh, uh, runs and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, yep. Agile and, and all that kind of stuff. So they have special softwares and stuff like that. So they need a little bit more than just, you know, basic whiteboarding. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to use their existing applications that they use as part of their business processes. And so you can do a full operating system built into the device, load those applications on, and then put the device into a kiosk mode thereby locking it down, making sure that nobody's got access that shouldn't have, yet they still have access to those specific softwares that you know um, that they're going to want to use. So what you're doing there is creating a scenario where really you're building an entire conference room's worth of AV built into the display almost. You've got your compute, that's what's running Teams. You've got the microphone is a bar that's attached to the display, as is the speakers. You've got your camera attached to the top and it's a touch display. So you can use that display to then control the system. So you don't need a touch panel on the table anymore. So now you're talking about a scenario where in a warehouse, you build a whole room onto a single display mount. The only install requirement is you just throwing it up on the wall and plugging it in. That's pretty great. Like throw some M50 screws into the back of your panel mounted to the wall. You're good. So I have, a quick, yeah, I have a quick question for you. So you, you mentioned about adding a speaker and then adding a camera. Uh, does the solution have a proprietary camera speaker? Or is it something like we've talked about the last couple of shows? So these are the OPS in there is has USB connectivity. So you can use whatever uh, USB device you want. So that can be a camera that can be microphones, speaker mics, et cetera. There are ones that are better than others. The HDL that we've talked about before is better than the competition. It's a USB device, auto-tuning. Literally, again, it really helps with that scenario of, hey, I just want to throw this up on the wall and have it just work. Mm -hmm. Auto-tune itself. So the HDL is definitely something that we use when we're doing this type of solution. Um, And then we've talked about the cameras that are available. you got your Mm -hmm. fixed cameras. There's about a million manufacturers of those that are all great. Um, then if you want to adapt to, or if you want a room that is adaptable, you can use the speaker track cameras that we've talked about as well. Mm -hmm. So again, that's just mounted to the top and now you've got a room that will adapt automatically will tune itself. It'll move the camera as needed to the active speakers. You control it from the display. You're able to do all of your applications. Um, and again, it's all sort of all in one, one unit going up on the wall together. That's fantastic. So yeah, just rolling back three shows. We got the poly with the cameras. We got the device you're talking about, which I'm going to bury the lead Avacor. And then we have the Nariva on the bottom. That's a complete collaboration, not just a conference on a wall. That's a collaboration on a wall, right? That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so now that I just kind of threw that out there, and yeah. <laughs> sorry, I, just, I couldn't help myself. This it all came together so well. Uh, did you want to talk about the the device? 
Yeah, let's talk about Abacor. Should I share my screen here? Yeah. All righty. So, first thing, Abacor, they are a manufacturer of large format touchscreen displays. First thing you see here, certified for Microsoft Teams. You guys have seen this. This pump. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, why is that so important? This is now, uh, they're now the industry leader in terms of being set up to be in your Microsoft Teams environment. And you know that the level of support you're going to get. Because look, the technology is not, no, nothing new for many of these manufacturers. The key parts are, can you make it an enterprise-ready technology, right? The touch works, right? Can you integrate? Can I remotely support it, though? Can I integrate with my other support platforms? How? What's my experience as an IT or a uh, AV provider and or internal support person going to be like? How does this fit into my, uh, my deployment, into my environment? Now that, so Avacor has gone to extreme lengths um, to make sure that, yes, Teams is the right environment for this. It's now certified in Teams. And for those for those at home, we will definitely link to this uh, in in the show notes because it is pretty. It's a pretty slim, slick looking device. It's not intrusive. I've seen a lot of these devices require massive like mounting carts and all kinds of craziness. It's it's a very streamlined device. It's an, it's an important distinction because again, yep. like I was saying, those smart boards you had projectors sticking. If you had the on wall projector that was coming mm-hmm. out like five feet from the wall projecting yep. around you couldn't stand in certain places or you're going to be blocking the projection and yep. that's the only way to get to the size of display that you want and then there was that generation of displays with 10 inch bezels or whatever they were <laughs> <laughs> uh and it's it's become a technology now that is cost effective we've talked about the all-in-one aspect and you can put it into a space and it's not intrusive like it has been in the past that's awesome um, so what you're looking at here is uh, sort of what we talked about earlier with that all-in-one scenario. Um, you can see there where there is, just to give you guys a visual, this is what it would look like when you walk into a conference room. You see you have your camera up there, you've got your speakers, you got your mic built in, you see there on the display, a management platform where you can A, click on whatever the next meeting might be, or B, click on whatever uh, software it is that you want to use or C, do some ad hoc whiteboarding or whatever you might need uh, in that particular moment. That's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, guys. So um, like I mentioned, the other key aspect here is, and they don't have a good visual here, but is the fact that you can do that built-in compute. And that is really what allows this to become that whole conference room. You're not sort of cabling to something else. You're not trying to bring in another piece of hardware. Mm -hmm. It's now all built in uh, to that same system and certified to work together. For sure. So I, I do have one question and uh, it's, it's, it's a softball question because I actually looked at the product in advance of, of the show. So um, it's, it's, I think the, the, the coming from you, how this would work would probably be, be best. So we are a teams and Microsoft shop, right. For the day job. That's, that's hands down um, though. We have customers who have to live in the zoom world now and again. And so like we have conversations, you know, a lot recently, actually, like, how do I get some of these zoom things inside of teams? And so like, we're having those conversations, uh, but you know, there are those one-offs or there are organizations that have, you know, like the majority of their work is in teams, but they have a faction that is using zoom. Uh, the 
device, uh, can you include Zoom in there? Yeah, again, zoom in more. And that is the power of it, right? When you look at, I mean, let's take a, let's take a construction company that's using these, right? Mm -hmm. They have software that they already use I'm sh- uh, to manage their projects. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've ever seen those job site trailers with the sticky note walls, but yep. you know, that's a very simple and perfect application. So whatever software they use for that is not a typical software. That's something that you're going to need to specifically load or make accessible from mm-hmm. the device. So having a full operating system enables that. So if you can do that, you absolutely can do teams, do Zoom. Do Zoom. You can do whatever. Um, Meet, go to the whole whole shebang then, huh? <laughs> it's really up to the IT team what they want to make available more than anything else. Awesome. Now, say an organization wanted to put several of these out. Is there is there a management plane or do you just manage it as you would with a regular device in your network? So the most important thing to manage is going to be the software that's loaded on there mm-hmm. and those have their own management platforms. Okay. Um, said there is, again, it's a full operating system. So there's a myriad of ways to be able to remote into the device, turn it on, turn it off, change the software, et cetera. You know, IT personnel will, uh, have a better answer than <laughs> in terms of how to actually do that. That's not my forte, but I will, but I, you know, again, it's a full operating system. So anything you would do with any other laptop in your fleet can be done with this. So it's safe to say for our security conscious users out there that because it has full OS on it, we can use Microsoft's endpoint manager and we can intune it, which is awesome because then because it's interactive, if you do have guests visiting and if they are unintended, the last thing you want to do is to have them slip something in maybe a USB drive or so or USB port or something that would put something bad on it. So you can harden it. If it, if, if, if we can treat it like a machine, we can treat it with endpoint Intune, defender, the whole suite of it. So that, that there is a value add, especially for, for large and enterprise, uh, having that visibility into it is great. I know some of the competing products from back in the day with the big carts and the big giant eyeball that spun around randomly trying to find you. Um, those particular devices uh, were traditionally harder to manage because it had its own management plane and way to connect. And, and, but th- because it is OS based that solves that challenge, right? Sort of, and you're right. All of these manufacturers back in the day, for these types of technologies, we're trying to do the collaboration software themselves and the collaboration solution themselves. And that's they're hardware manufacturers. They're not software developers. Right. So they've realized that the market has spoken. (laughs) (laughs) Microsoft is better at this (laughs) than they are. So they've said, okay, uh, let's leverage how good teams is and make our device able to run teams and whatever's other software is that, yeah, that, that's awesome. Uh, Deb, do you have anything to throw in on this? Other than it's pretty awesome when you want one. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I, I think it's a thing. It's in this day and age that the, like we, we, we talk about this because it's, it's on my mind because we talked about this earlier, how machine learning and AI is achievable for organizations now. And like, I feel like this falls into that category a little bit where some of this stuff may not have been achievable for certain organizations anymore, but it's gotten to the point where the technologies evolved so much that anyone can purchase this and not break the bank. From, from a price point. Yeah, you're absolutely right there. Absolutely right. Meet, they started to meet users at their comfort place as opposed to 
users comfortable with using their technology. Yeah. And, and for those who are out there trying to make their own solutions because they want to have it, you can stop buying the whiteboard paint and painting your wall with the whiteboard and buying the infrared <laughs> LEDs and sticking yeah. it in a square around it and the office room looking like a frat house. You can the stop hanging that. wires isn't, isn't uh, desirable. No, not anymore. <laughs> That's fantastic. Any final words on, on this uh, you wanted to bring up? Um, just that, you know, like I said, I think the technology has become the taking the perspective of meeting the users where they're comfortable. And I think that you are going to see, like Dev said, a lot more of this moving forward. Yeah. Fantastic. Uh, on that note, we're going to stay in line because it is a collaboration corner and we're going to pick into Dev's teams in the last 30. So you got your list. I do, sir. All right. Light it up, man. All right. So this is a unique one because this is, I believe, this is our first collab corner since the last Ignite. It, indeed uh, it is. So I know, I know in previous shows we've touched upon uh, saw some of the items that have come out of there, but I want to talk a little bit more in depth about them now if there's thoughts on them or whatever the case may be. Um, so... I'm not going to go in order on how they're listed in the show notes because of I like I'm excited to talk about certain things. Either that, um, I'm just going to mess with my OCD because or you know. probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the the first time I wanted to bring up is I think it's in my opinion I believe it's the most interesting piece is the uh, announced Microsoft Teams Connect and how that how that um. How that's going to work in the back end is, is, is essentially what's happening is now if you want to share your uh, if you want to add a guest to a uh, you have that if you want a, an external person to uh, join a team on, in your tenant, you have to add them as a guest and configure 20 yep. different access points on the back end in the tenant and go with God. Um, <laughs> you know. So, but this is interesting. And then that user has to switch tenants in the teams client. It gets all wonky and it just becomes a, you, know, you don't get notifications for your original yeah. during the channel. Yeah. That's my, it's life. not it's the not. cleanest design. It is not. Um, but it seems like this is the answer to that because what's happening now is that, and this is even takes a, a, a step further to the channel level and even the team level is that you'll be able to, to create channels now now you have the two options standard and private we know what those are now a third option will be available called shared and you can add external users to that um, channel only to, to to that channel now um they haven't really said a lot about this to my knowledge i don't know if they released any more information since ignite i don't think they have i haven't seen anything on tech community or or, or anything like that but with private channels this, the the people that are scoped so you can add to the private channel are already members of the team. Yep. So I'm curious. I'm assuming it's going to be the same concept here, but they also, the cool thing about this is that the team and channel will show up in the user's home tenant. They won't have to flip tenants to access that data and they'll get notifications for things. Co-authoring will still be available, the whole thing. So I think that's really cool. I'm going to throw a flag. I'm going to throw a flag. <laughs> I just, I just virtually threw the flag. <laughs> For those of you at home, I just did the referee throw. Uh, or I'm a hockey guy. I'll put the penalty coming up. All right. So here's my challenge with this whole thing. This should be easily sortable, right? Because I'm in a bazillion different teams, tenants, and a bazillion different guest <laughs> channel or guest some teams. And my phone flip-flops between them all 
without a challenge. I can sit there and I get one from this one, one from that one. My, like if you look at my notification bar on my phone, I don't see any other notifications. It's just like teams, 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 all the way across the top. So, so I don't, I don't understand the barrier between, I don't know, is it Electron that's causing the challenge or, or I don't know. What, what, do, you, what do you know from that? No, I agree that the the mobile apps for tablets and 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 phones, and that goes for iOS, Android, the whole you know, iPad, whatever tablets, handle the tenant switching much better than um, the desktop client does. It's seamless. I, it's absolutely it's, seamless. Yeah. There's a couple times here, and I know early on in its uh, lifespan, if it, it it was a bit wonky a little bit, but I feel like it's gotten a lot better. As going on now, like yeah, just seamless. I, if I get I, all my, if you didn't know any better than the know the all the messages you get, they look like they're coming from the same place, but it's all coming from different tenants and wherever you're at. Yep. So it, it's it, it's very interesting. I I I would fathom that it's probably something to do with how it's written in the back end, but it's got to be. A, um, yeah, so I, I wonder how they're going to implement this change, this shift, and I wonder how that. Because it's, the way they're implementing the shared, uh, the Microsoft Teams connect with the shared channels doesn't exactly replicate how it presents itself in the app on the mobile apps. So I'm sure it's probably going to look the same way, but it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. There's not a lot of details. It's a private preview, right, private preview right now, so it should be see see how things play out. Okay, so moving on. Excuse me. Um, Next item is that uh, Teams multi-geo. I think this is really big. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a fly. That was a cheer. That was like you, you were the fan that time. It was a touchdown. Um, <laughs> for the goal for hockey fans. <laughs> um, a bunch of other services in Office 365, SharePoint Exchange, all have multi-geo support where, you know, data residency requirements, GDPR, the whole thing. Now Teams will enter that foray. Um, some point we're thinking it says rolling out in April this year. Um, we'll see if they stick to that. Um, but multi-teams multi-geo is coming. So you can home your users data in different regions of the world where necessary. And I have been be able to take care of those data, read those, those data uh, requirements and, uh, just another thing off admins plates. So check, check that, uh, user voice thing off. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Um, so the the last couple of things are small things, but I think they're huge because of just things I remember seeing in the news or whatever the case may be. Um, there's this new meeting option of where you can you can control it at the meeting level for invite only lobby setting. So this prevents, like for example, if I forward you Mike a meeting that you weren't invited to so you could join the meeting and like i don't know why didn't you invite me ari <laughs> <laughs> see the dev yeah. felt bad for me and gave me the pity invite <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's great um and like i just you know prank the meeting or whatever is come on and like i don't know do something crazy or whatever and apparently that, that apparently that only happens when i get dropped during the team's call that we're <laughs> shenanigans happen um and the thing i thought about the most when it comes to this is actually school meetings and, and class class meetings because yeah. i've seen a number of cases where somebody gets into the meeting and weird stuff happens and it's like all over the news like you know or whatever the case may be yeah. um so i think that's really cool because that you know control 
controls, you know, you, whoever's only been invited can, can, can access the meeting. And it just, I think offers an extra layer of security, especially from a classroom setting. Fun fact on that note. Um, so the person will remain nameless. I know they listen, so <laughs> I will not call you out. <laughs> um, their child goes to school where they have a one-to-one with Chromebooks and their organization has decided that for a pandemic use, they weren't distributing laptops. They were just giving people Chromebooks because most of their stuff's on web services. And they were the identical one that the school district has. And he snagged it, rolled out the, rolled out the door to grab a coffee, not even looking, opened up some calendar view and mashed on a button and he joined his kid's class. <laughs> so that would, that would be helpful. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Yep. So I, I just think that's because I've seen that in, in the news before where yep. the invite gets out there, some weird stuff's going on or whatever. And I think just a, a nice extra layer of security for what is that? There are folks that just sort of brute force these uh, passwords. There's a box on and then when they, when they get in, they, it's it's a, it's a real issue in in the education space right now, actually. Yeah, yeah. for sure. What, what system is mostly being used for those? Is it Chromebooks or Meet or you know? Oh, it's no, it's for sure the ones where they're having the issues are Zoom. Zoom. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. That's that's where the issues. And they're using you know, I'd say education. I'd, I'd say Meet is probably more prevalent. Um, but look, you know, they've invested in the Microsoft stack as well, so a lot of them mm-hmm. are using. Yeah, and kind of just not diverting too far from from Dev's topic there. One of the challenges that I know in in our school district is that they're historically a Google because of the one-to-one with the Chromebooks being so cheap, but they realized that they needed something more robust. So they started using some services that were running on Microsoft. Uh, I won't call them out, the names out or the school districts out. Uh, There's three of them that I know of. And so they had two platforms going and then it was like kids were getting confused because the teachers like, you know, WebEx and then some of them were using Meet and then other ones were using Teams. So like they were like getting that spun around like we deal with our normal lives of like, okay, what customer do we need to talk to and what platform if they set up the meeting? Um, They're experiencing that on a daily basis, class by class. So, yeah. And then you throw on top of that, okay, here's a Zoom meeting and they can be bombed out by, you know, the brute force and what have you. Um, it's, it's definitely a challenge. I agree, I agree. So on that note, moving on to our next topic is, and this is something that's been around for a long time in Outlook, is safe links. And now that is going to be moving to Microsoft Teams and be able to be available there as well. Um, but <laughs> uh, Mike, Mike is just the, the king of hand signs today. You got the flag, you got the cheering, you got the boo. Um, but um, yeah, we, we all, whenever we get emails and we get the links and has to has the extra long safe link uh, encoding or whatever, and you know, makes pr- the, all the security pr- protection on the back end from, from, I guess it's ATP um, from, from that. So they're moving that to teams now It'll be available there. So I think that's pretty cool. It's a nice little, little gesture that's in. You're going to make me justify my thumbs down. I am security centric. Absolutely. I just know as someone who does it type things, those safe links are not easy to do certain activities we need to do on our side. So, (laughs) I mean, yes, uh, get them out there for end users, you know, secure the world. And our last topic of the day for the last teams in 30 is uh, I think, we talked about this was something that was announced at Ignite last year, at least part of it was um, Azure Comm services. And we, you know, I, 
said it back then is going to be a huge thing to build in calling functionality and messaging into third-party apps for developers. And it's going to be a huge thing. Now there'd be teams interoperability with Azure Comm services. So that way, if you're, uh, you know, say it's customer support or whatever, and the user initiates a call from the website or whatever, it will automatically feed itself into the team's client of the, whatever agent there is there. And it'll look like a native call or whatever. And, um, you know, it, be able to act seamlessly, um, with, uh, with, with those two endpoints. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be huge. I think it, this adds, adds another layer of curating that experience from both ends of the, uh, both ends of the spectrum. So, uh, you know, I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah, definitely. I can see a lot of use cases there. Quick and wrong, doesn't that make, it makes it much easier to support it too, right? It does. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it, the biggest gap with with solutions like like Teams is that integration hook. So, like we have organization, we have a day job project where we're linking Teams into a CRM, and so we have to do some magic on the back end to move reporting over, which we can. That's okay. That's easily accomplished. But then there's the whole like click and call, or like if a customer has a touch point from the public and you have it built in, like, you know, like you will that click to chat with me and the click to talk with me, like building that in is like superior customer service to be able to t- click that button, have it go into the back end system. And anybody that's logged into that group who's logged into teams, you know, has an ax has the ability to like grab that. And, and, I, and on the team side, you know, you can handle cues and, and things, things that are like, business flow from a call perspective you can you can replicate a pbx so now you're just bringing that entry point in from wherever for that matter i mean it can be from an internal uh, solution that's built clear all the way out to the customer right that's really awesome because yeah. i'll be honest i don't know if you just as a consumer in general using the chat for support it's my go-to now <laughs> Absolutely. Well, because like you said, because people actually respond, I can get to somebody and get an answer in a fraction of the time, probably because mm-hmm. these technologies where it's, you know, it's not just one person that's answering, right? You got a whole team. Yep. Yep. And I, and I think one other cool thing about this is that from a team's endpoint uh, piece is that, you know, any usage or cost from that if if they're connecting natively to teams is covered underneath underneath the m365 piece you only get billed for that on, on the acs side um so which is really cool it saves money too so it does it does uh, you know what I, the synapse will slow to fire so i'm going to roll back to that statement you made Ari, about the chatting yeah can you can you do you do, do you do the turing test on it because you know, oh, a lot of the times that you're chatting with is not a person. I do, man, I, I will, <laughs> what was my latest word? Oh no, my latest word is not fit for public. Uh, <laughs> there's a word. There's a word that you know. I'll I'll say things like say X. And see, <laughs> see if that's awesome. That's awesome. You know what I? I and I'm I'm going to give a tip of the cap to uh, to Google. I I get phone calls around holidays. Um, or when there's major flare-ups in our county from a COVID perspective, I get a phone call and I answer it because it's in the same exchange as Redmond and I have a lot of contacts out there and I'm like, oh, it's somebody trying to reach me. So I, I recognize the number now and it'd be like, and they're, they're honest about it, but it's like, hi, I'm Dave. I'm not a real person, but I just want to know is, is your organization open this weekend? And what are your hours? And it's like, and it's like not just like computer, it's like real now, it's like a person talking. And then you like, you can interface with it. If you just say like, 
eight to five. You'd be like, is that eight to five every day? Or is it like, you know, like real inquisitive and you're like, you're talking with this thing. And he was, and they're like, thank you. And you hang up and then it updates your Google, my business. And it's, well, I use the reverse. So on my, I have a pixel okay. and I use the Google assistant to answer every call that I don't know the phone number. Uh, the, the assistant answers the phone for me. I get, you know, read out live readout of what they're saying nine times out of 10. It's a robocaller out of Florida yes. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to be on the phone with them to figure out that I don't want to be on the phone with them. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, that's no, great. That's good stuff that we can we can uh put this show to sleep uh we're gonna leave you with again the product of the week from avacor that'll be done in the show notes along with uh links to our sponsor aspirant and as well as links to elb uh thank you ari for coming dev always thank you but ari returning champ collaboration corner is a much looked after episode uh in the month so we appreciate you being here it is always a pleasure to do with you guys love getting together yeah it's always a good time thank you everyone have a good day Bye. 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 is brought to you by Aspirant. You aspire, together we achieve. This production is for information and entertainment purposes only. Not all technologies and items discussed are compatible with your system or specific configuration. Your knowledge may vary. Consult a professional before trying anything discussed on this show. Visit show notes for relevant information and links. I'll cut this out. It is March 24th, 2021. Today is the February. No, it's not. It's March. I'm Ron Burgundy, and I'm reading whatever is on there. <laughs> <laughs>